0: movie this past year. I think it's the only one we saw in theaters the last year that was not animated. (laughs) But it was called Collateral Beauty and it was a Will Smith movie um, where he dealt with losing his six-year-old daughter. And the movie is very raw and in your face with the emotions that come with death. And after he loses his daughter, he basically shuts himself off from the world and his responsibility. And his friends hire these three actors to play life and death, or, well, death and time and what's the other one? Love. Love. Um, Who he has been writing letters to, trying to grasp and comprehend this thing and death for us is so difficult to deal with there is something so final about it and the emotions that come with it are so difficult and through the movie he gets to see this new world that opens up right before his eyes that he's never seen before and in the darkest most difficult time he somehow begins to see some beauty in the moment, where it looks like there is nothing but death and desolation. And if you've ever lost someone, you understand the emotions that come with it. You, you understand the raw emotion and pain and the hurt that comes with it and the sorrow that follows, and so difficult so, so many times to put words with it. It's difficult to express what we're feeling and the loss that comes with it. Jesus, as we've been talking over the last seven weeks, has been performing in John's gospel these signs. These signs that John says in chapter 2 are revealing God through Jesus as Messiah, pointing to it. And each of these signs in John's gospel is kind of an escalation where it gets a little bit more and more and more powerful as it goes. It begins with water to wine and walking on the water, and it is feeding the 5,000, but it's going to end with Jesus raising someone from the dead that are pointing to Jesus, God's Son, who is Messiah. And in chapter 9, we saw Jesus healed the eyes of a blind man. And right before that, the Pharisees were ready to stone him and put him to death. And he heals this man, and then he begins teaching. And just later in chapter 10, the Pharisees again are picking up stones to stone Jesus. And as Jesus is speaking some friends show up on the scene and they say, we have a message for you. Your friend Lazarus is sick and could possibly die. And so Jesus gets this message from these friends and Jesus does not immediately go to Bethany where Lazarus is sick, but instead he waits. He waits and then Lazarus dies. The one who had the power to heal a blind man waits. He hears the word spoken to him and he does not immediately go. And so Jesus waits and he tells his disciples that Lazarus has fallen asleep and they say well this is a good thing if he sleeps he will get better and he says no you don't understand Lazarus has died and so they go they go as disciples prepared to die but they also go to comfort people who are hurting along with Jesus their rabbi And when Jesus arrives, Martha meets him with a message, Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus would still be alive. And Jesus tells her that you're going to see your brother again. And she says, well, I I get that. I'm going to see him again at the resurrection of the last. I understand all this. I get how it works, but... He's not here with me right now. I understand there's going to be a time, there's going to be a day when we get to see him again, but right now, he is not here and we are hurting. And if you had been here, he would still be alive. The Greek word here is guilt trip. There is this moment of, if only you had been here, Lazarus would still be alive. Then, verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus says, I think I've heard that before when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, there's this this moment where Mary and Martha both feel this incredible sense. If you had been here... If you had showed up at the right time, if you had come when we called to you, if you had been here, then he would still be alive. If only you had been here. And and my guess is you have had those moments. If only I had handled the situation differently. If only I had spent more time with them when they were here. If only we hadn't made the decision to go. And yet, they place this on Jesus and they say, If you had been here, then everything would be different. Jesus does not take it upon himself to do what he cannot do. See, there's this understanding. Because this if-only game can only be a game. Because no matter how much or how many times you say if only, you cannot go back. That there is no possibility to hit rewind and go back to when it before or when it happened and do things differently. There's no possibility. And yet this if only game is something that we play over and over and over in our heads if we had responded differently, if we had done things differently, if we had made a different decision, then. But Jesus does not spend time speculating as to why this happened. He does not spend time trying to explain it. He does not spend time trying to rehash it as if he could go back All he can do is deal with what has happened in the present moment. And so they say, well, if only you had been here, and Jesus says, yes, I cannot go back and undo what has been done. What I can do is deal with in this present moment what has already happened. But here's the the scary part. It is so much easier to try to relive the past than it is to deal with the present. Because the present comes with a set of emotions that we don't fully grasp and understand. And they are emotions that we will do whatever we can do to avoid. And as a culture, we hate to deal with it. We want to skip over, we want to not hit rewind, we want to hit fast forward. And we want to move to the other side of it where it's already in the past and we've already dealt with it. And the scary thing is we can't. They were simply left with the emotions of the moment. And so John says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, the, the English translations do not do this justice. The The Greek words are actually imbrimeomai and terasso. And imbrimeomai means to rebuke, to be angry, to be indignant. And terasso means to be troubled, to be unsettled, or to be disturbed. The imbrimeomai, um, Jesus is at Bethany again. And this lady brings this alabaster jar of perfume and she breaks it and she pours it over Jesus. And the Pharisees come to her and they say, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than half a year or more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And then it says, and they rebuked her. The word, embrymaomai. They rebuked her harshly. And most other languages translate this word instead of deeply moved is angry. Angry and troubled or unsettled or disturbed. When King Herod heard this, he was Disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him, Tarasso. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, they were troubled, they were unsettled. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. That Jesus, the, these emotions of death that are so difficult to explain, maybe better translated, Jesus is angry and disturbed. So question. Because I I have to admit, this is never, these are never emotions that I've thought of when I've heard this story. Why would Jesus be angry and disturbed? Why Would Jesus be angry and disturbed? I've had a couple of conversations this last week. One with a friend who lost her spouse about two years ago. And trying to listen to them process the emotions and the grief that come with it. It, It's like there are not words to express it fully. And there is the sorrow, and then there is the pain, and then even anger at what's happened. And I got to sit with with Brenda this week, who lost her husband. And my heart breaks. And we experience all of these emotions, these raw emotions that we don't fully know what to do with and how to handle. Jesus angry and disturbed. Why would Jesus be angry and disturbed? Who would Jesus be angry at? Because he's not angry, obviously, at Mary or Martha. And he's not angry at Lazarus. I don't think he's angry at the Jews who are there to comfort them, and the Pharisees haven't followed him there, who would Jesus be angry at? Maybe. Maybe Jesus is angry at the situation. Maybe Jesus is angry at death. Maybe Jesus is looking at this scenario that someone who he loves has died and he is hurting and these people around him who he loves is hurting and he cannot go back and change it. And the the, the truth is that they are left with these emotions that they don't understand and they don't know what to do with and he's angry at the situation because this is not right and this is not the way things were supposed to be in the beginning, but this is how things are now and I don't like it. See, these these emotions that come with this experience of death are perfectly fine. Fine. Because when we lose someone, we don't know how to respond, and we don't know what to say, and it is okay. And we are filled with so many different emotions that that flood us, and we don't know how to explain, and we don't know what to do with. And I would just simply say that wherever you are in that process of grieving, whatever you are feeling, is perfectly normal and okay. And Jesus does not dismiss their sorrow. He knows what is fixing to happen, and he does not just simply say, hey, stop your crying, it's no big deal. He enters into the moment with them, and he weeps for those who are weeping. And as I was thinking about this scenario, and thinking about Jesus being angry here this question just flooded my mind and has been on my mind all week is do the things that make god angry make you angry that it seems like in this story Jesus is angry and disturbed by death he he is Disturbed and angry about the pain that these people are having to experience and it's not right. And there is injustice and there is pain and there is sorrow and there is hurting and it is not okay and Jesus is angry at it. And I wonder, do the things that make God angry make you angry? Do the things that make God angry make me angry? Because when I think back over the last week of the things I've been angry about, in the grand scheme of things, they don't matter that much. They don't matter that much. And I think one of the things that, as I've talked to people, one of the things that we discover in death, for those who are left behind, things that we used to think mattered a whole lot, don't carry quite as much weight on the other side. And so Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone Laid across the entrance, take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha, sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. I think we can agree that death stinks. And I say that on multiple occasions levels. And I think John says it on multiple levels as well. Like, there there literally is the stench of death, the bad smell that comes with it, but there's also the realization after the fact that, man, this stinks. Like, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to experience it, but yet here I am And throughout John's gospel, he he has been contrasting day and night, dark and light, blind and sight, death and life. And in this is is sin and life. There's this contrast that sin, darkness, blindness leads to death. But then there's this other side that he contrasts where there is light and there is day and there is a new day that is coming through the word made flesh who is Jesus. And in this new day, there is a new world where death no longer has victory and death no longer has power and death no longer has its sting. And and there is a day coming where we won't have to deal with the things that we once dealt with. But as for today, we are left here in the midst of this world that is broken and falling apart. And we have to deal with it as it is. And we can't go back and change it. And we can't skip over it. We can only enter into it. If only you had been here. My brother would still be alive if only you had been here. And Jesus simply says, I can't do that. I can't go back. I cannot undo what has been done. All I can do is enter into the moment with you and open the tomb and raise him back to life. I can't go backwards, but I can go forward because there is a new day coming. See, in week one, we we talked from John 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and in him all things have been made, and without him nothing has been made that has been made, and in him was the light, and that light was the light of all mankind, and that light has shined into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Like John is setting up this scenario that's going to happen in chapter 11 by letting us know that this word was the word in the beginning that was creating this new world through his word. And John wants you to know that again, through the word of God who is Jesus, he is creating a new world where death has no power. And death has no sting. And the garden as it was supposed to be will one day be again. Because Jesus has conquered death. He has risen from the dead. And now we have life. Open the tomb. Roll the stone away. But there's a problem. There's this intense odor that's going to be inside. Yes, but it has to be dealt with. See, we have to experience that part of death that we don't want to deal with before we get to life. Like, that is the gospel. That, that before you get to new life, you have to go through death. Before you get to new life, you have to go through Death, and death stinks. And so, Jesus, as the stone is rolled away from the tomb, he looks into the tomb. He looks into the darkness. He looks into the night. He looks into the blindness. He looks into the death, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And in this moment, this man who has been dead for four days, covered with the stench of death, walks out of the tomb. And John says, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen, and he had a cloth around his face. He, he walks out of the tomb, but notice, even in new life, he cannot see Jesus has raised him from the dead, and he is still blinded. He still has something obstructing his vision. And so all of these people that have gathered to comfort the sick and the, the hurting and the dead and the sorrow-filled people who are at the tomb mourning, all of these people gee, excuse me, wow, Jesus speaks to them. And Jesus said to them, Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus speaks to this community of friends and followers and believers. And says to this person who has been raised from the dead, now you help them see. Because resurrection is a team sport. That it takes the community of believers, it takes the people of God. Filled with the Spirit of God, walking with one another to point out resurrection when all we see is death. It takes the community of God filled with the Spirit of God to point out life when all we can see is death and desolation because we need people to help us see life. You remember in Corinthians when Paul says that I had a part in this, and Apollos, he had a part in this, and Jesus, he had a part in this, that Jesus, we trust, is doing his part. The question is, as the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, do we do our part in this? We we worship, we exalt Christ as savior and we encourage one another, but are we engaging this world with the good news of the gospel? Are we helping people to see who cannot see? Or are we helping to bring light where there was darkness? Are we helping to bring a new day where there was an old day full of death and destruction? that you have a part to play in this story. And the beautiful thing is you have been invited with God to build His kingdom. Because as we said in week one, it's the Word of God that is speaking a new world into existence through the Word of God. Because words have the capacity and the power to create new worlds. And God... Through his word, Jesus speaks, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. But when he comes out, he cannot see. And Jesus looks at these people gathered around and he says, You have a responsibility to help this man who was blind and dead and could not see to once again see take off the grave clothes father today may we as your people be people of hope in this world people of the light people who no longer walk in darkness but are full of your light Father you have not called us to complain about the darkness you have not called us to analyze it to explain it or to understand it but you have called us to bring your light into the middle of it and invade the darkness with your light. And so, Father, give us courage as your people, full of your spirit, to live in this world in a way that brings your light into the darkness, which is the dawn of a brand new day. And, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name amen. If we could pray for you in any way, we're going to have ministry staff, shepherds around this auditorium. Um, If you would like to enter into life in Christ, we would love to just simply share with you and talk about what that means, um, how baptism is a part of that, and the, the response that you have. So whatever your need, come while we stand and sing.